If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look there today. There was a little girl and she was watching her mother in fascination as she was rubbing cold cream on her face. And she said, Mom, why do you do that? And she said, well, I do it to make myself look beautiful. And the little girl's amazement, about a minute later, the mom began removing the cold cream with the tissue that she had just put on her face. And the girl said, Mom, what's the matter? Giving up already? <laughs> you know, there are times when, when I look at, at my life and my prayer life, and I wonder if God ever says, Tim, what's the matter? Are you giving up already? Uh, Believe it or not, there are a lot of people both in the church and outside the church that have given up on God. People that have quit going to church because they gave up on God. People that quit praying, that quit witnessing, that quit supporting the church financially because they've given up on God. But we're continuing to look at this greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And And in this sermon, Jesus makes a promise about prayer in our scripture this morning that's really one of the greatest promises in scripture. But it's a promise that is based on us never giving up on God. See, wouldn't it be great if we had the same kind of faith that little kids have? I love looking on the internet. You can find these letters that children write to God. And they're funny, but they make you think. Uh, For example, from Jane, Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why not just keep the ones we have now? From Norma, Dear God, did you mean to make the giraffe look like that or was it an accident? From Joyce, Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. (laughs) Dear God, is it hard for you to love the people in this world? There's just four people in my family and I can't do it. From Mickey, dear God, if you look, watch me on Sunday, you'll see my new shoes. <laughs> From Larry, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't have killed each other if they had their own rooms. It worked for my brother and I. <laughs> and finally, from Eugene, dear God, the bad people laughed at Noah. They said, you made a dry, an ark on dry land. You're an idiot. But he was smart, and he stuck with you. That's what I would do. You see, all of these letters had one thing in common. Every single child expected God to read these letters, and every single child expected God to respond to these letters. See, Jesus makes this dynamic, definite statement about prayer that assures us one very vital fact, that God hears our prayers and he answers our prayer. And so if that's true, we can do no more than pray until we pray. But we can do so much more after we pray, when we pray. But we never give up on God. And in this scripture, there are two commands that Jesus gives us, both as evidences to not give up on God and reasons not to give up on God. And it begins here, to follow God's requirements for prayer. Look with me, Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
See, it's interesting. Prayer is the only subject Jesus discusses twice here in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I think that illustrates to us that there is no substitute for prayer in the life of a follower of Jesus. See, there are things that God does through prayer that he doesn't do any other way. And so if we're going to invite God to fellowship with us, if we're going to involve God in our daily lives, we must pray. See, these verbs in this, in, this, in this scripture, there's three of them. There's ask, seek, and knock. And they're in the imperative mode. These are commands. Saying prayer is not a request. It's not a, if you get around to it, that'd be a cool thing. It's a command. It's a requirement by God. And so if prayer is a requirement, then not to pray is a sin. And now, not only these verses, the, the words are in the imperative mode, they're also in the present tense. And that denotes a continuous action. In other words, what Jesus is saying is ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And the implication here is whatever you do, don't give up. Don't quit praying. And notice each one of the verbs calls for a little more effort. Doesn't it? Ask. Ask just implies making the simple verbal request. But seeking, seeking goes beyond just asking and now you're actively searching for an answer. And knocking, knocking involves not only asking and seeking, but now you're going to a specific place, knocking on a specific door, trying to find specific answers. So prayer begins by asking. Ask and it will be given to you. Right? The greatest problem with prayer is not unanswered prayer. It's unasked prayer. Now James says in James 4 verse 2, You have not because you ask not. But you see, asking shows our dependence. When we pray, we're acknowledging that we are completely dependent on God. But the truth is, we're always completely dependent upon God, aren't we? I mean, you never get so rich, you never get so strong that you can no longer have to depend on God. A heart attack can quickly tell a rich person how dependent they are on God. Right? One little cancer cell tells a bodybuilder how dependent they are upon God. And that's why we ask. We ask because it expresses our dependence upon one who is greater. So we ask, and then we move to seek. Seek, and you will find. And that, that expresses our desire. Because there are times when we need to pray when we don't even know what we're going to pray for. We don't even know how to pray. And so seeking, it becomes this deeper level of prayer. I mean, when you ask, you, you know exactly what you're asking for. But when you're seeking, you're just trying to find what it is God wants for you. Or what it is God wants from you. Paul talks about this prayer in Romans 8 verse 26. He says, The Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us according to the will of God. So we seek and then, and then we knock. Knock and it will be open to you. That expresses our determination. You know, I was thinking through this this week and, and Gage and Xander really popped into my mind, especially when they were younger. And I'm sure any and all of you parents, you can understand where I'm going with this. See, if Gage and Xander, especially when they were little, if there was something that they wanted, what would they do? They would ask whoever was closest. 
Mom, can I have a cookie? Dad, can I have that? Mom, can you give me that? Dad, can I get that? Dad, Mom, we want... They, they would ask us for it. And if we weren't answering them right away, what would they do? They'd keep asking, right? Dad, Dad, did you hear me? Dad, I, can I have that? Please, can, I, can you give me that? Dad, please, can, can I... They'd ask. And now if Gage or Xander wanted something and we weren't standing nearby, what would they do? Well, now they would seek. They would wander all around the house or wherever we were trying to find one of us so that they could say, Dad, can I have that cookie? Mom, can I have this piece of candy? Dad, can I have that? Mom, can you give? And they wouldn't quit seeking until they found us. And now every once in a while, if Amy or I or both of us needed a few moments of quiet, now, now we never did this. I'm sure you parents never do this. But if you needed those moments of quiet, you would go into your room and you would shut the door. And you would be very quiet, hoping they wouldn't find you. <laughs> but they would seek. And they'd finally figure out where you were. And what would they do? <laughs> Mom? Dad, are you in there? Mom? Dad? Dad, can, can, can I have this? Can you get me that? Can we do this? They'd begin seeking and they would knock. And if we wouldn't answer right away, they would just keep knocking so that they could ask us for what they wanted, for what they needed. There, there was a dad who had four children. And he would sometimes get tired of the endless noise and the dirty diapers and all the toys scattered everywhere and the fussing and fighting. And so sometimes to get a few moments alone, he would go into his bathroom and he would take a shower. Well, one day he was taking a shower and he had the bathroom door shut and his little girl came up to the door and began to bang on it and called out for him. And with irritation, he shouted back. He said, can I please have my privacy? Well, the knocking stopped for a moment and he kind of breathed a sigh of relief. And then the little voice came back and said, Dad, where's your privacy? I can't find it. <laughs> See, that's the spirit of prevailing prayer. That's why we keep asking. We keep seeking. We keep knocking. There's two reasons. First, because of what God tells us here in verse 8. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Everyone who asks, receives. You may not receive the exact thing you're asking for, but I guarantee if it's from God, it's something better. And everyone who seeks finds. You may not find it in the moment you're looking for it, but in God's timing, you'll find it. And everyone who knocks, the door is open. It may not be the door you thought would be open. It may not be the door you were wanting open, but I guarantee, again, if it's God opening the door, it's something so much better. But not only because of what God said should we continue to pray, more of it's who God is. Verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good give, good, give good gifts to those who ask him? Say that five times real fast. <laughs> 
See, why does Jesus use this illustration? Well, scholars tell us uh, along the shore, there were these little limestones on the seashore, and they looked like little loaves of bread. And there would have been these fish, kind of like eels or something. They weren't really fish, more like snakes in the water. And so Jesus is looking around, and he says, you know, no good father, when his son asks for bread, is going to give him a piece of limestone. No good father is going to give his son an eel or, or a water snake when he's asking for fish. He says, in, in fact, even if your son asks for the stone or the serpent, you're, you're not going to give it to him because you know what's best. So how much more will your father in heaven give you what's best? See, that's why prayer is so wonderful. The, the reason we pray is not because God is going to give us everything we want. The reason we pray is because He will always give us what He wants. That's why He says this in verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? But you see, there's another thing we have to do if we're not going to give up on God. And that's just not not only follow his requirements for prayer, but we follow his golden rule for people. Uh, Let's finish this section. Verse 12. So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, I don't know about you, when I first read this, I thought, why why is this here? This just doesn't really flow with everything he was just saying. But notice the first phrase, so in everything. That, that tells me that what Jesus is saying here is linked directly to everything he has just said before. So, I, so think about it. How is the golden rule, you know, how we treat others, how is that tied into prayer? Well, I think it's another reason why you and I can know that God answers prayer. Because if God told us to pray and then he doesn't answer our prayers, he's going to break his own golden rule. See, he is doing for us what he would want us to do for him if he were praying to us. So in essence, the reason why we keep the golden rule is we treat others the way that God treats us. And what's really unique about this verse is it's expressed in a positive way. And see, there are so many that stated this in a negative form, like Socrates and Aristotle and Buddha and Confucius. Uh, they, they say the same thing, but they say it in a negative way. They say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But that's different than what Jesus said. See, notice very carefully what this does not say. It doesn't say, do unto others if they do unto you. It doesn't say that. There was a little six-year-old boy, and he got into a fight with his four-year-old brother. And his mom came in to break up the fight, and she said, Children, haven't you heard of the golden rule? And the six-year-old said, Yes, but he did it unto me first. (laughs) It's not what it says. Also, it doesn't say, Do unto others, or they won't do unto you. It doesn't say that. Uh, Baseball player Yogi Berra was going to a funeral man once. He didn't even know him. And Mickey Mantle asked him, he said, Yogi, why are you going to this funeral? You don't know the guy. And he said, well, always go to other people's funerals or they won't come to yours. 
<laughs> Not what this verse says. Notice it also doesn't say, do unto others worse than they do unto you. It doesn't say that. But sadly, that's the way a lot of people live today, isn't it? There was a story of a woman. She had a nice black Mercedes. She was driving around a parking lot of the mall looking for a space. And she was just packed. She couldn't find one. And finally, she saw a guy walking out with all of his bags in hand. And she followed him to his car. And he got in. And he finally backed out of his spot. And just before she could pull in, this young kid in a bright red Corvette pulled in and stole the spot from her. And he got out and began to walk to the store and she rolled her window down. She said, what? what are you doing? I was waiting for that spot. Clearly you saw me sitting there. And the young man said, well, sorry lady, that's how it is when you're young and quick. So without a word, she put her Mercedes in gear and floored it and smashed right into his Corvette. And she backed up and she started to leave and the guy just looked at her and she said, sorry, that's how it is when you're old and rich. <laughs> That, that's not what the golden rule says either. Now the golden rule says, therefore whatever you want men to do to you, you do also to them. You know, I can tell you right now, there would be peace in the Middle East if both sides kept the golden rule. There would be peace in our nation if all sides kept the golden rule. And I sometimes wonder where we could have been, what we could really have accomplished if we had just prayed more, went to God more on our knees. December of 1998, I, I graduated Bible college. About three months before that, I began to interview at a church in Mantino, Illinois. I was going to be their youth minister. And everything was going great. I, in fact, I thought they were going to hire me. The minister and I, we got along really well. The, the youth leaders and I got along well. The search committee and I got along well. And, and everything was going great. And then about two days after Christmas, the preacher called me. And he said that he was taking a new job. He was leaving the church to go work for somewhere else. And, and so the, the elders decided they were going to put a halt on the search committee for the youth minister until they found a new senior minister. And I remember hanging up the phone and I was just devastated. And I was frustrated and I was a little bit angry and, and I was just like, ah. And so I began the process of sending out more resumes and doing more searching and more interviews and, and Amy and I, we just, we couldn't find the right match. Either the church we wanted to go to wasn't interested in us or the church interested in us but we didn't want to go there and just didn't feel right. And, and I began to wonder after several months if maybe I wasn't even supposed to be in ministry. And then in July, seven months after searching and praying and waiting, I, we got a call for an interview. And we went down to this church in Frankfort, Indiana and met with the minister and the leaders there. And, and everything went well. A few weeks later, they called us back and they said, come on back on a Sunday. And we went back and we met everyone at the church. And the week later, they voted and, and they voted to hire us. And, you know, I look back on that on those almost nine months of waiting. And I remember thinking, man, that, that was one of the longest times in my life. But I'm so glad that I never gave up on God during that entire time. I never gave up on what He was calling me to do. And I look back and I think, you know, that, that had to have probably been one of the strongest 
moments in my life, the strongest times where I, of my prayer life, completely waiting on God. And I could stand up here and I can give you a lot of other instances to prove what I'm saying. I'm sure most everyone here could stand up and give your own stories of, uh, of times when you know that God never failed you. And we just need to continue to never give up on Him. But don't give up on God. Because He never fails. And the greatest news of all is He never gives up on you. So this morning as we close, let me just ask, do you, do you feel like, is there a moment in your life when you feel like you, you've given up on Him? Or maybe you feel like He's given up on you. And you just need to come back. To come back and surrender to Him. Or maybe this morning for the first time, you, you need to come to God and to give Him your life. If that's what you need to do, I invite you to come. Our invitation hymn is 655. Please stand with me as we sing.